Amen. You may be seated this morning. I just want to say to you today that I am preaching a message to you I've never preached before. The Lord dropped this into my spirit. I believe it was on Wednesday morning. Out of the clear blue, I wasn't really contemplating or thinking about what I would preach today. And it was just like the Lord began to deposit something in me. And as my mind began to wrap around this word, I began to just simply go, wow. Because I've never seen the connection that should the Lord help me today, I want to make to you. There's probably a lot of greater preachers and a lot of smarter preachers than me that have probably seen this and already, you know, whatever. I'm not them. It's not a new revelation of the scripture. It's just a new revelation to me, perhaps. And I don't think there will ever get to a place where we don't get new revelations because the word of God is alive and is quick. And if we ever get to the place we think we've already seen and learned everything that there is to see and learn, then we better be careful. Amen? Amen. I want to use for a title this morning, The Blessing Place. The Blessing Place. And I want to begin this morning just by giving you a main thought that it is my desire that I can expound upon this thought and really just drive this home with the help of the Lord this morning. The main thought is this. The blessing place is not a location. Now when we hear the word place, we think of a location, a geographical location. But the main thought is this. The blessing place is not a location. It is a lifestyle. It is not a location, it is a lifestyle. Let's begin to dive into this this morning. I've only got about 10 points. You'll be happy to know that they're all short points. Anyway, I've got an illustration for you. I, I walked over to the parking lot and saw my brother leaving and pulling a wagon last week. I'd watched the live stream Wednesday and I said, an illustration on Wednesday night? An illustration on Sunday morning? You're going to cause me to pull out my bag of tricks. Raising the bar. And what I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth. If you don't believe what I'm telling you, you can ask him and those that were present when this conversation took place. My mind immediately went when I saw the weights that he had to the book of Hebrews. I said the 11th chapter. That's the Hall of Fame. But it was actually chapter 12 when the Bible says... Let us lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And I looked at him. How many of you here were last Sunday morning? Okay. So I looked at him and I said, you know, I, I was just looking at that verse of Scripture recently. And something stood out to me and it was the word weight. And the Bible says weight and the sin. And I didn't know what he preached because the live stream wasn't up. I tried to pull it up. It wasn't up. And, and I didn't know what he preached until after I said this and he told me what he preached. And I said, but when I was looking at that passage of Scripture and I looked at the word weight, the thought occurred to me that the weight may not necessarily be a sin, but it could be something that is a distraction that if it's not dealt with properly, it could become sin. Is that what the man of God preached? When God puts things together, he puts them together, right? Let's talk about the blessing place. I want to give you two definitions as we dive into this this morning. The first definition is that of a steward. A steward is one who manages or looks after another person's property. Stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something that belongs to somebody else. I am a steward of this house. It doesn't belong to me. Pastors will sometimes erroneously say, 
my church. I have been guilty of that. And when I say my church, it's not that it's my possession or that it's belonging to me. It's that it's the house that I'm leading or that I am the steward over. The reality of it is that the church belongs to God. And the pastor that he places in the house is the steward over that house. And it is my prayer and my desire to be a good steward over God's house. To be a good steward over what belongs to God. Amen. But the reality of it is, I'm not the only steward in the house today. I look across this congregation and you are stewards. God has given to you some things that don't belong to you to manage. He has given to you some things that belong to Him to manage and to be a steward over. So let's talk about steward and stewardship. From the two definitions that I gave you, we can see that the job Adam was tasked with in the Garden of Eden was to tend to manage and look after something that belonged to God. We, we see the act of stewardship or the role of a steward was actually in the heart and mind of God from the very beginning of time. Now let's just, let's just cut to the chase real quick. God don't need me. God don't need you because he's God. But I'm thankful that he chose to use me. And I'm thankful that he chose to use you. Amen. And the reality of it is that the heart and mind of God from the very beginning of time, we see the role of a steward in there. And so I've chosen the title of this message, The Blessing Place, for this reason. And again, when I speak of the blessing place, I, I'm not speaking specifically of the Garden of Eden as the blessing place because we automatically think of a geographical location. But I want to keep in your mind today through the course of this message that when you hear the blessing place or the, the word place, I'm not talking about a geographical location. I'm talking about a lifestyle. I'm not talking about the garden in Eden. I'm talking about a way of life. Listen, please direct your attention to me this morning. If you're not careful, the enemy will try to distract your thoughts onto things that you have planned to do throughout the day. I'm going to pause right here and say this because I know how the enemy works. I so believe the Lord has put a word in my spirit this morning that if we'll get a hold of it, it'll revolutionize our life. It rocked me, and I was like, wow. And so I know this is for us today. So when you think about the blessing place or the word place, don't th think about a geographical location. Think about a lifestyle. Throughout the course of this message, we're going to talk about the place of obedience in the life of God's people. Obedience is not a geographical location. You may think, well, Pastor, it could be a geographical location. You may think, Pastor, if the Lord tells me to go somewhere and I go, then I'm going to be blessed in the geographical location. I give you a point for a great point. You give me two for my point that's going to one-up your point. When the Lord opened the door for us to move to Oklahoma City to Southern Hills, you could say, Pastor, you're going to be blessed because you're in the geographical location where God put you. It's a great point. But the blessing place is not Oklahoma City. The blessing place is not Southern Hills. Understand that the ministry that God has for us can, is, and will be blessed, but not because I drove a U-Haul four hours to get here, and not because I'm now the pastor at Southern Hills, but it all boils down to the fact that when the Lord spoke, I was obedient. 
It all boils down to obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Your Bible says that. And if it don't, you better get a new one. The fact of the matter is, you may be blessed in a geographical location, but you're not blessed because you're in the location. You're blessed because you are obedient, and your obedience is what took you to the geographical location. It's not a place necessarily as much as it is a lifestyle. Help me, Holy Ghost. It was the obedience to God that drove you to move to that geographical location or drove me to move to that geographical location. Let's dive in here. Look at verse 8. I, I have sympathy for the people who work in the sound booth because they try to keep up with me with these verses. Sometimes it don't work. If you can keep up with me, uh, follow me on the, the screen. It, it will be helpful. Look at verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Let's talk about this. The garden of Eden belonged to God. It was his idea. It was his plan. He's the one who planted it. Man had nothing to do with the planting of it at all. It was solely the property of God. Man had nothing to do with the Garden of Eden. The very name Eden means paradise or a place of delight. When the Bible, while the Bible does not give us much description about the Garden of Eden as far as what it looked like or perhaps even the atmosphere in the garden, we can from other verses of Scripture draw a conclusion about what it must have been like. It must have been a beautiful place. Why do I say it was a beautiful place? Well, it was planted by God. Look at me. Look at me. God don't make nothing ugly. Right? Look at yourself in the mirror. God don't make nothing ugly. So the Garden of Eden had to be beautiful. Because God made it. He created it. And because God created it and God planted it, it must have been a place of peace and tranquility. I have never walked into a place where the Spirit of God was in the atmosphere and chaos abound. My God, I'm about ready to preach. I have walked into places where chaos was running rapid and the Spirit of God hit the place and it leave in the name of Jesus. So it had to be a place of peace and tranquility. Not to mention the fact that sin had not yet entered into the world either. Everything at this moment was great. There were no heartaches. There were no trials. There were no problems in the garden at this moment. It was a place where the blessings of God were evident. And what were the blessings? Peace. Beauty. Delight. Some scholars and theologians have even uh, looked at the Garden of Eden as a type and shadow of heaven. Types and shadows are all throughout the Old Testament. The Garden of Eden, a place before sin, internet, obviously was a place of perfection, a place of peace, a place of beauty. It was a place of everything that God has designed heaven to be like. Look at verse 8. God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. Help me, Jesus. I may need 90 minutes today. There he placed the man whom he had formed. This is an important point for us to grasp. First off, it was God who placed the man in the garden. God put him there. Adam did not receive the garden as payment for anything he had done. It was not some grand prize for his talents and skills. No, God formed man and simply put him in the garden of Eden that he planted. Don't miss this. God said, I'm going to plant a garden. I'm going to form man and I'm going to put him in the garden. Adam had access to the garden. Adam had access to everything in the garden. Even the tree he was not supposed to touch, he had access to. 
Did you hear me? Even the tree he was not supposed to touch, he had access to. Everything God placed in the garden was at his disposal. I've got to take time to get you where we're going. Everything in the Garden of Eden was at Adam's disposal. Even what he was not supposed to touch. Point three. I told you they were short points. I just got to dive through these verses. Look at verse nine. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. Again, man cannot claim credit for anything prosperous done within the Garden of Eden. Everything that was accomplished was planted and grown by God. I know I'm driving this home, but I just want to make sure we got it in our spirit. That Adam had nothing to do with it. He couldn't take credit for it. He couldn't say, oh, I planted the beautiful tree that you see over there. The beautiful flowers that are growing in the garden. I chose those to go into that place. No, the Bible said God planted the garden. It was God's plan. It was God's idea. It was God's garden. He just simply put a man in there to enjoy it. He put a man in there to walk in the beauty of the garden. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. He put a man in there to walk in the peace of the garden. He put a man in there to walk in the tranquility of the garden. He put a man in there to enjoy the beauty of everything and the, the calm, peaceful presence of God. Now remember, Adam didn't do anything. I said, I'm going to form man. He scooped up some dirt. I don't know what he did. He might have spit in it and mixed it up. I don't know. But he took some dirt and poof, there was Adam. Adam didn't have a clue what he was supposed to do. I mean, he didn't have a history book. Come on, somebody. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. God said, go to the garden. Put you in the garden. But because Adam didn't know what to do, God said, I never intended my people to walk through life without knowing what to do. It amazes me. I'm going to get in trouble before I get out of here. It amazes me the number of people who claim to be saved for so many years of their life and they wander around like they don't know what to do. Pastor, I don't know what to do. Adam didn't know what to do, so God helped him. Look at verse 15. I'm going to give you scripture. Then the Lord God, this is after all the rivers went out. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Adam didn't know what he was supposed to do. So we can see here that God had to tell him what his job was. Adam, I'm putting you in the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. Your job is to be a steward over my garden. Adam, the garden belongs to me. I, I planted it. I put everything in here. You're going to be a steward over my property. Look at verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. I'll get to verse 17 a little bit later. Listen. God gave Adam instruction. God put Adam in the garden for the purpose of being a steward over the garden. He was tasked with two responsibilities. Cultivate and keep. Cultivate and keep. Cultivate and keep. Get it in your spirit this morning. The word cultivate means to work and serve. Look it up. He didn't put him in there just to sit idly by and enjoy the blessings of God. He put him in the garden to work the garden and to serve the kingdom. 
keep the garden. Cultivate it. He said, cultivate and keep. Cultivate means to work and to serve. The word keep means to watch over it and preserve it. Can I tell you what our job in the kingdom is? It's to work and to serve. Jesus modeled this at the Last Supper when he wasn't concerned about being the son of the living God and he stood up from a table and he laid down his title and girded himself with a towel so he could sit at the feet of his disciples and serve them by washing their feet. We've been put here to work and to serve. And to keep. We've been put here to watch and preserve. Watch and preserve. Adam's responsibilities are to do these things. Verse 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat you will surely die. Listen. Let me back up. I need to back up. Because I need to say this. About Adam's job to cultivate keep. Adam had no say over what happened in the garden. Hello? He didn't have any say. He just had to work it. He just had to serve it. He just had to keep it, watch it, protect it, preserve it. Hello? It wasn't his job to make sure everything grew properly. The Lord planted the seed. It wasn't his job to make sure that the right plant was planted. He just had to watch it and preserve it. He just had to cultivate it. He had to, he had to work it and serve it. He had to keep it and preserve it. Let's get to the sin. God gave a specific instruction to Adam and it is found in verse 17. I just read it to you. Now we can debate and we can argue all day long on what the sin was that was committed in the garden. We can debate and we can argue that the sin was when they ate of the tree. How many of you say, that's the sin, preacher? None of you are going to raise your hand because you think I've got an ace in a hole for you. Don't ever answer a question asked by a preacher. It's probably loaded. But I have heard people say, the sin was that they ate of the fruit. Some of you look at me like a cow looking at a new gate. You what? The reality of it is the sin was not necessarily that they ate of the forbidden tree. The sin was that they disobeyed God. That was the sin. So if you want to live in the blessing place, you've got to walk in obedience. And if you want to walk out of the blessing place, then you walk in disobedience. Because when they disobeyed God, there was a consequence. Chapter 3 details for us what happened. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Their disobedience is what uh, caused sin in their life. And in your life and my life today, disobedience to God breeds sin in the life of believers. You got quiet. I'm going to try that one more time. I'm not looking for an amen. Disobedience to God is sin. I promise you, my wife and I have been out of the will of God before. And it's not a fun place to be. Because we didn't obey God. And it almost cost us our marriage. But I thank God that I woke up. She can tell you if she woke up. I'm not saying that. If the truth be known, she was probably behind me telling me the whole time. I can be a little thick-headed sometimes. Nevertheless, we're one because we're married. I thank God we woke up and realized we were not in the will of God. We were not obedient to God. And we prayed, God, I don't care where it is, what it is, get us back in your will. Disobedience will bring sin in your life. Disobedience and the careless handling of God's property will always result in consequences. Uh-oh, did you hear what I said? 
Disobedience and the careless handling of God's property will always result in consequences. In Joshua 7, Achan caused the army of Israel to be defeated because he touched the accursed thing or the things under ban and the result was that Joshua's army lost a significant number of men. Joshua chapter 7. If you don't believe I'm telling you the truth, read it this afternoon. Don't read it now. When the Ark of the Covenant was touched improperly or when it was mishandled, death was the result. God laid out a specific guideline how to handle the Ark of the Covenant. And when it was touched improperly or mishandled, boom. Disobedience causes us to suffer. However, walking in obedience will cause us to walk in the blessings of God continually. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. I'm going to read it very quickly. It'll be on the screen. They, Adam and Eve, heard a sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, I have a difficult time believing that this is the first time that God came down and walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. The scripture at least implies that this is something that God did previously. I believe that at various times God would come down, as this verse tells us, and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. But it was on this day, after they disobeyed God and committed sin, that when He came down, they hid themselves because they were exposed. They knew they were naked because sin will always leave you exposed. Another sermon for another day right there. That's good. Sin will always leave you exposed. God even said, Who told you you were naked? Have you disobeyed me? It wasn't until they had partaken of the forbidden fruit that they realized they were naked and ashamed. Sin will always leave you feeling shameful. Hmm. They had engaged in disobedience and the result was walking out of the blessing place. Listen, I told you that the blessing place was not a geographical location. It is a life of obedience. And the moment you walk into disobedience, you walk out of obedience. So if obedience is the place of blessing, the moment you step out of obedience and into disobedience, you walk out from under the blessing. And then you wander around, why is everything in hell coming against me? Why can't I catch a break? Why can't I see the light of day? I'm preaching better than some of you are shouting right now. Why is everywhere I turn is a problem after a problem after a problem after a problem? Help me, oh God. What well, we better be praying to get back under the obedience to you and out of disobedience. I'm under the obedience of God. I'm obeying God. I'm in the blessing place. But the moment I step out of obedience and into disobedience, it's one step, it's one choice, it's one decision. The blessing is removed. But just as quickly as you stepped out, you can say, my God, I'm in disobedience. I, I've disobeyed God. And it was only one step out. It's only one step back into obedience and into the blessing place. You don't have to grovel for years trying to get back to the place of blessing. It's one step out and it's one step You say, well, preacher, that preaches real good on a Sunday morning, but is it scriptural? Oh, it absolutely is scriptural. I'm not going to take the time to read it. It's in your Bible. After they disobeyed God, after they ate of the forbidden fruit, God expelled them out of the garden. Leave the garden of Eden. You're no longer allowed to be in the blessing place. You're no longer allowed to be 
me in my beautiful garden that I've planted. You're no longer allowed to be the steward over something that belongs to me because you mishandled my things. And he put them out. Hello. The place of blessing is walking or living in obedience to God. The place of blessing is being in obedience to the Father. Living or walking in disobedience will always bring about a curse. The ground was not cursed until Adam and Eve was guilty of disobedience. He had no problems working the garden and cultivating the garden. He had the richest soil there was. He had just the right amount of irrigation. He had the right amount of pest control. It was God's garden. He didn't need pest control. But he had the right, he had the right soil. He had the right mixture of, of dirt and, and, and minerals. And he had the right mixture of everything because he was in God's place of blessing. I'm just simply telling you that when you're in God's place of blessing, you'll have everything you need. But when you're in disobedience, guess what? Something's going to happen. It wasn't until they were removed from the garden that God pronounced a curse upon the ground. And now, the curse of the ground became Adam's toil. The very ground, listen to this, the very ground that yielded his blessings is now the ground that will become his toil or his extremely hard work. It's just easiest to obey God and not walk in disobedience. Amen. Stewardship must be practiced in obedience to receive the blessing. Now, that's been some, that's been some okay preaching. But I'm fixing to tie this to something. And I'm fixing to marry this point to something in Scripture that I've never seen before. Walk with me in Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to talk about tithing and offering. And don't you check out on me because I'm about to talk about giving. I've pastored long enough to know how that works. Go talk about money, preacher. I ain't paying attention today. Malachi chapter 3. Verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithe? Right? What all it said. What did it say? In tithe. What? So we have to give both. Right? We have to give the tithe. And we have to give the offering. Verse 9. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There's a comma, which means in English class that you need to pause and then keep reading. But I'm going to pause because I need to interject something right here. There is a key word in this verse. Bring the whole tithe. Pastored a couple one time and I did a series of teaching on tithing and offering. And they came to me and they said, Pastor, thank you so much. We have always given an amount and we have always earmarked a tithe. Because we've never sat under anybody that did a proper teaching on tithing. And so we always just gave an amount. We heard we needed to tithe. We always just gave an amount and we earmarked it tithe. We never knew how much we were supposed to give till today. If you don't know, the word tithe in the Hebrew literally means tenth. If you earned a dollar, how much do you owe God? If you earn $10, how much do you owe God? If you earned $1,000, how much do you owe God? I've heard people say, Pastor, if I ever win the lottery, lie, devil, you don't tithe on the thousand you make now. You ain't going to tithe on $1.9 billion.
the whole time. Can I just tell you, if you only give a portion and market tithe, you ain't tithing God, you're tipping God. I don't want to just tip God. That's what you give to a waitress at a restaurant. I don't want to give God, put God at the same level as somebody who serves my table. I want to give God what's his. Watch. The whole time, one-tenth. If you make $500 this week, your tithe is $50. So that there may be food in my house. Listen. So that there may be ministry in my house. So the work of ministry can go forward. And test. The only place I've ever found in scripture where God said, try me. See, try me, God said. Try me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. The King James says, until there shall not be room enough to receive. We shout the victory right there. Boy, I, I'm tithing, I'm offering. God's going to pour me out a blessing. But we stop there. You can't stop there. you got to get verse 11. He said, then I will rebuke the devourer. I'll rebuke the devil on your behalf. I've always said it like this. We always want to hang on to what God says I will do, but we don't ever want to talk about what God said. I will when you do. Tithing is a, it is a blessing that is tied to a principle. The principle is if I give God what belongs to him, then he's going to bless me. Now when I read into this, my God, i got so many stories I can tell you about this. Let me, let me say it like this. I pastored a lady one time who was a, high up in a major corporation. I won't call any names. I'll just say she was high up in a supervisory position in a major corporation. And she would always give an amount near market tithe. But she didn't truly tithe a tenth of her increase. She only put a mark, amount in there and she marked tithe. It wasn't long until that company got bought out she was given a severance package. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. She was relieved from her duties with a severance package. The next job she took, she was only making, Brother Moore, the amount of money she'd been tithing on. She went from a supervisory position of pay to what you could have went and worked in retail and made in a week's time. Well, you say, do you think that was tied to, tied to her lack of tithing? I absolutely do. Because the reality of it is she wasn't bringing the whole tithe. God can only bless in part when you obey in part. Hello, somebody. But part obedience is still full disobedience my lord I gotta get out of here help me Jesus notice something here that is consistent with what we find in the garden of Eden story God has given to each of us something that belongs to him the tithe is his it's never yours or mine he has instructed us as to how we should handle it same thing he did to Adam Adam I'll give you the garden I'm going to tell you how to deal with it today I'm going to give you this income and I'm going to tell you how to handle my part of it. Do you see the consistency here? If we mishandle what belongs to God, we are walking in disobedience and as a result, a curse is imminent. The curse will happen because that is the penalty for our disobedience. Don't miss the blessing and the benefit. It far outweighs the curse. In the Garden of Eden, now listen, in the Garden of Eden, there were trees that belonged to God. 
Adam and Eve had access to those trees. However, there was one tree in the garden that belonged to God. There was one tree in the garden that God instructed them never to partake of or never to consume it. Right? God said, all of these things you can have except for this one. God said, when you get your paycheck, you can have 90% of it, but don't you touch that tent that belongs to me. Because the moment you touch that tent, you begin to operate under a curse. Melchizedek appeared in the Old Testament. Many scholars and theologians believe he was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Abraham is the first recorded account that we have who paid tithe to Melchizedek. The tenth belongs to God. It's holy unto the Lord. Your scripture says that. I lost somebody in a church because I taught what Scripture said. In the book of Leviticus, it says if you use the tithe and then you attempt to redeem it, you have to add an extra fifth part to it. Brother Moore, it goes from 10% to 15%. How many of y'all knew that? I figured you did. He's a former pastor. I'm sure he knew it. Do you understand that where banking institutions got the identity charge interest on loans was from Scripture? It's where it come from. Banks said, well, if God can charge interest, when they borrow his money, surely we can charge it when they borrow our money. There was one tree that belonged to God. And God said, you can't touch it. You can't consume it. There's one-tenth of our income that belongs to God. And God says, don't touch it. Don't consume it. Here's, here's the bottom line. Here's the easiest way I know how to explain it. You can have 100% of your income cursed and do whatever you want to with it. Or you can have 90% of it blessed and God will multiply it. And God will make you have money where you didn't know money was coming from. You'll be like, boy, I didn't see that coming. And God says, I know. It's because you gave me what was mine. And I promise to do something for you. Here you go. The word blessing there, many times we get so wrapped up into this that we think about monetary, we think money. It's not always money. It could be. The word blessing there is painted with a broad stroke. You've heard me say that before. It, it opens up the, 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 the realm that God can do whatever he needs to do. He can bless you in whatever way you need to be blessed. It means prosperity. It means you're going to be prospered. 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 Prospered is not always with money. It may be a tank of gas when you need a tank of gas. I know I'm not the only person in here that your needle's been on empty and you ain't been close to a gas station and God caused that needle to go back up. Man. Now, listen, I'm going to say something right here. And I probably don't need to say it. But I just, I just feel like I need to say this. There's not any blessing that God will withhold from us when we're walking in obedience. Sometimes I think healing can even be tied to tithing. It's a blessing to be healed. Let me get through this. I got, I, I'm almost done. Here in Malachi, we have something that belongs to God, tithe and offering. If the tithe and offering belongs to God and it is misused or consumed by us, it brings about a curse. This is the word of the Lord. We get so wrapped up in the 10%. We get so wrapped up in the fact that it's money. We get so wrapped up into that. Can I just can I just mess with your thinking for just a moment? Can I just help you real quick? Tithing is not about the money. Tithing is not about money. It's about obedience. That's all it boils down to. Are you going to be obedient? Are you going to be disobedient? The Lord spoke this to me several years ago. We were pastoring in Louisiana, and I was working on a message. And he asked me a question. He said, do you know why people get so antsy when pastors and preachers preach on tithing and offering? I said, well, probably because it has to do with money. And I said, probably because it takes money to function, it takes money to live, it takes money to operate. He said, you're right. He said, but here's what I want you to tell my people. 
And I think every time I've ever talked about tithing and offering in a message, I've always brought this up because it was so impactful and it was so powerful. God said people get so antsy because money's close to the heart, but I want to be closer to their heart than their money is. I want to be closer to their heart than their money is. Uh, two brothers, come help me. I want this table moved right here in front of the platform right quick so I can, I can illustrate something. Here in Malachi, the tithe and the offering belongs to God. So many times we think, well, if I give a tenth, I'm done. I've, I've satisfied. No, he said in tithe and offering. Tithe and offering. He instructs us as to how much the tithe is. But he didn't really say how much the offering was. He left that up to us. I did something in the church one time. And I almost wished I hadn't have done it. Wasn't the first time, won't be the last. I told the church, I said, we're going to receive an offering today. And we're going to receive a love offering to Jesus. That's what I told him, Brother Moore. We're going to receive a love offering to the Lord. It didn't take me long to figure out how much some of them love Jesus. I mean, you say, Pastor, that's unkind. That might have been all they had. Hello. God knows what we have. And I'm going to tell you how God convicted me one time. I went out and played golf on a Saturday. And I was sitting in that chair. Not that chair. I was, it didn't happen while I was here. I ain't played golf since I've been here. We were pastoring in Louisiana. I was sitting in a, a chair like, or on the front row right here. And I was sitting here and I had a, had a pastor or a preacher in my church receiving the offering that day. And I reached into my pocket to pull out some money to put in the offering. And the Lord says, what are you doing? Well, God, I'm giving an offering. What do you think I'm doing? Now, you may not talk to God like that. But I sometimes talk to God that way. I'm not being disrespectful. It's just a conversation. He walks with me and talks with me. God, what do you think I'm doing? I'm about to give me the offering. He said, how much were your grain fees yesterday? He said, do you mean to tell me you were going to pay more for your grain fees on the golf course than what you were going to put in my offering and give to me? I dug a little deeper in my pocket and I pulled out some more money. I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, I can tell you what you love just by looking at your checkbook. Listen, I promise you I'm almost done. But I, I got to get this to you. God has given something to us that belongs to him, and we are to be a steward over it. How are we stewarding God's tithe? How are we stewarding the offering that he's given to us? The question becomes, are we stewarding it well, or are we consuming it of our own lust? Are we walking in faithfulness and obedience to God, or are we walking in disobedience that blocks the blessings of God? God, trust you and I with what belongs to him. Are we truly trustworthy when it comes to taking something that belongs to him? Or are we taking it and doing whatever we want to with it? Scripture teaches us that the tithe is the Lord and is holy unto the Lord. And I know this about my life. I don't want to touch nor mishandle anything that is holy unto the Lord. Because the end result will not be very good if I do. But put your eyes up here. This don't really mean nothing. This does. The Bible says, bring the whole tithe of the storehouse so that there may be food ministry in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows or until there shall not be room enough to receive. This is you and I. Okay? This is you and I. And when we tithe properly, this is the blessings of God. And he begins to pour that blessing out. So much there shall not be room enough to receive. Or it's an overflow blessing. That you can literally walk in the overflow. And the blessings of God can overtake you. The water overtook the cup. 
it could not contain every bit of the water that I poured into that. Because this is you and you're faithful with his tithe. I don't even like it called my tithe because it's not mine, it's his. One last thing I want to show you. I have a 50-second video that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to talk you through this video. Okay? Now, just a second on the video. Let me show you something. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, Windows. It took me a while to grasp English. That's why I can barely spoke it today. But an S on that word means more than one window. He didn't say I would open up the window of heaven. He said I will open up the windows, plural, more than one. You know what the word windows, plural, here in Malachi 3 literally means? It literally means a sluice gate. Some of you are going, what is a sluice gate? I'm about to show you. Roll that video. A sluice gate. Come on, Internet. Is a gate at a dam. Come on, Internet, in the name of Jesus. That when the gate is open, the outpouring of the water cannot be contained. And what God is saying here is if you'll be faithful with the tithe and the offering, I will literally open up a sluice gate of blessing to you. You shall not have room to receive. It will overtake you. It will overflow you. You will be walking in obedience. You will be walking in the blessed life. And it just floods all around you. But by the same token, if you take that tithe and misuse it or mishandle it, that gate does not open and the blessing stays on the other side of it. 